All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Sex uh, Ed Before Bed. I'm here with Karen B.K. Chan. A little bit about Karen B.K. Chan. Uh, she is a sex and emotional literacy educator in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> Karen, aka BK, has taught and written about sex, sexuality, and emotional intelligence for 20 years. She is dedicated to having conversations about sexuality that are real, transformative, and kind. Karen, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. So good to be here. It's good. It's good to have you. I've, um, I've heard about you for a long time from Tuval and just other people who do uh, sex education, and you're really well known. So. Oh, that's so lovely. I love Tuval. <laughs> so good people. Yeah, shout out. So, um, I guess you have done work in with so many different different groups, and uh, your company is called Fluid Exchange. You've done work with um, Toronto like uh, law schools. You've done work at sex shops, and you do work with individuals and couples. So you really have a, a kind of really broad portfolio. So it's pretty impressive. I guess um, I wanted to start by talking about maybe what you're working on right now. Some of the things you're working on. Um, I'm working on. I mean, in truth, I'm working on not working as much. <laughs> it's really um, been a, a fortune, I think, and um, like a privilege and also a curse uh, that working is one of the ways that I deal with stress and <laughs> with um, feeling tired. <laughs> and with, um, if I don't know what to do, I'll work. Um, so I, I'm actually working on not working as much. Nice. So that's that's goal number one. And at the same time, I'm working on. Um, I, I this year I said to myself I really want to uh, invest in like, creativity, and it makes me really excited to to use creativity. So that manifests in like so randomly sometimes in like powerpoints that i make instead of just thinking of them as functional things i want to feel like they're little art objects yeah so there's that but uh, actually in terms of projects i'm working on a, a webinar an e-course with uh, good people at flip university and we want to put it on this e-course because often um, we hear people from different organizations say oh i wish my my organization or my company would do emotional intelligence training but that's never gonna happen yeah so this makes it available and it also means I don't have to be there it also means people get to engage with each other <coughs> in online communities anyway I love their platform I took some other courses and they're fun they're not just like the webinar you put on and then make your lunch and <laughs> not really listen. I've never heard of them. Flip yeah. University. They're slowly building um, uh, a portfolio of, of courses that are, they call pracademic. So like lots of practical <laughs> um, applications and a lot of academic kind of scientific stuff. Mm. So that's one thing that's taking quite a bit of time. And I'm trying to write a little book. Um, right on. Or a bunch of little books. I don't know what exactly 
they're becoming yet. Oh, nice. Yeah. That seems a bit more manageable than, you know, writing your memoirs. That's right. Something like that. I hope I get to a point where there's been so many memories that I get a memoir. (laughs) Yeah. An anthology. Yeah. Yeah. Volume one of 22. Yeah. And it's just that Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, where you have a whole shelf. This is my BK Chan collection. (laughs) Did you have encyclopedias? Uh, yeah. I, th- I think that we had the You're like, I still do my research that way. Really? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh my gosh. I was like, Dewey Decimal? I was just like making fun of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty old school. Yeah. It's true, though. I do remember Dewey Decimal. And Me I remember, too. yeah, I remember just how long research took. Yes. It takes a long time when it's like not the internet. I know, you're like wrong drawer, look different <laughs> index card. Oh, yeah. you go to the book, it's not there. Yeah, totally. or the book's not right. So that's pretty cool. So you're writing a bunch of little books. And uh, one of the books you came out with was called Monster. Yeah, that's the first in the series of um, unknown numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see some of that creativity you talk about in the way that the book is presented. You know, there's just entire pages that are lines, amorphous lines going all over with light colors and just little eyes hidden in them. (laughs) And then the monster is very endearing and cute and... um, yeah, and it's available through your website. It is. So people can read it. Yeah, and you can read it and you can not read it as well <laughs> on the website. Both. You will read this book. <laughs> read the I don't know, in reverse. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Black Aaron. Sabbath. Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what prompted you to write Monster? Um, funny enough, I had been trying to write about rejection for a long time. And I've been doing um, a lot of talks about rejection. And I came to talk about rejection because of consent. Yeah. So a lot of the consent work that's being done um, is amazing. Um, and I really felt what was missing was this really big uh, part that people get no support for. You know, a lot of times when, you know, sex educators go in and talk about consent, we're asking people to follow ideas and rules and scripts that are so hard to do. And one of the reasons it's so hard is just this idea of rejection. Yeah. And so if I don't get enough support around how I'm going to handle and integrate and live with the rejection that might come when I practice consent, then I'm not going to practice consent. It's just too risky. Yeah. So I've been talking rejection like nonstop. <laughs> and as I'm talking about it, I, I started to write about it. And I really wanted to... Like another part of my heart is to write children's books because like all this stuff I wish I learned as a child, not yeah. when I was 38. So yeah. Um, so I just wrote the text a long time ago. I left it. And uh, funny enough, I had a Groupon. Um, that for, Shout out to Groupon. <laughs> for her. We're looking for sponsors. I love Groupon. <laughs> Groupon loves you. Um, <laughs> I had a, like an expiring Groupon to print little books, and I was printing a little book for a loved one, and I had an extra one. And I'm like, oh my god, it expires tomorrow. <laughs> what do I do? So then I'm like, what's a quick thing I could throw onto um, a book? And 
So it has to be already done. It can't yes. be like I'm gonna write something tonight. Yeah. So it was that. And you already had it there. I had it already. Who knew?、Um, I didn't because it was like archived. Yeah. So that's why it came to be.、Um, and once it came to be, I felt so happy to have just put. Like a thing that I put in my back pocket into, like onto the table, and say, "Look at this if you want." Yeah.、Um, yeah. It's terrifying and it's fun and it's good. So I want to do more. Well, congratulations、Thank、on、you. bringing that into into reality and bringing that into to fruition. Thank you. You know. It's it is a big it's a big accomplishment when something like that comes. You know, the podcast was a long time was、uh, just an idea for a long time. Yeah, and then you're doing it. And doing it, it's awesome. I have to say, I was watching one of your videos about consent, and I did use part of it when I was teaching in a high school、yeah. this year about rejection and consent. And I basically was like, okay, like by we all have different values and things, and so our values are all different and. When we assert our boundaries, sometimes、uh, an effect of that is other people get hurt,、yeah. and that's okay. And、yeah. I talked about that. Yeah. Like, yes, this is good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So and I wait. I really. Did the students think you were out to lunch? No, they were. You know how they are during sex class. They are, they are at attention. Nobody even goes to the bathroom. <laughs> That's in your sex ed class. In mine, there are a lot of like hoodies pulled over their heads <laughs> in the back. Oh, okay. Yeah.、Uh, I'm pretending not to listen. Yeah. But I know we're、yeah. we're together. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Um, and so, thank you for that. And I、You're、think、so、that、welcome. it's really important.、Um, and I guess I I haven't really done an intro to the podcast, but I'll just say in briefly one of the reasons I got into it is exactly that reason that I I want to do this work because I didn't have anything like it. Catholic school, maybe a little bit of anatomy, maybe a little bit of intimacy. Goodbye, Charlie. Oh、Charlie. wow! Oh、uh, yeah! Very nice. I went to a Catholic school too. Yeah, fully alive. Oh, we didn't have that then. I I remember learning about syphilis、um, as a life cycle of a bacterium kind of biological lesson, and I had no idea it was sexually transmitted. And we learned about it over like a month. So I knew everything about syphilis and how I drew it, you know, many times in detail, but I had no idea. Right, you transmit it. Right, just we just sort、expert. of skipped over that. Yeah, yeah. total erasure of it. <laughs> When you were young, did you did you ever imagine that this would be what you were doing? Your... No, no, I don't know how many. I guess many people do. Yeah, yeah. They, they said I'm going to be a sex educator. But I didn't even know it was a thing until me neither. Years <laughs> ago.、Um, but recently.、Um, I had some insight shared with me, which is that I don't know if I'm really a sex person. You know, a lot of sex educators—they love sex. They love talking about sex, and it's about the sex. Yeah. Um, and sexuality, of course. And I think sex is like a case study for me、mm-hmm. of what's interesting and challenging in the world and within myself. So it's one of my things. Um, but yeah, I just learned that recently because 
sometimes when I meet sex educators, I'm like, I'm not sufficiently excited enough about sex. Yeah. <laughs> because you show me how excitable one can be. Right. Yeah. Oh, I certainly identify with that. Yeah. You see it as from the science, more science study. More like, um, like human behavior and what happens when we feel badly about something. Yeah. Or, yeah. So like a like a study of the human animal mm -hmm. and all the troubles we go through yeah. to be human. Well, in, in the same vein, then, I have a question about consent mm -hmm. for you. When I was teaching, I, in one way, in this way, I felt that I left my students with just half the information because I was talking about the age of consent and then, of course, that you can't consent if you're drunk or high. Right. And you just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, next. Yeah. And I didn't know how to traverse it. That's a hard one. I feel um, like uh, that one, like that one has hooks that catch my sweaters. You know, I'm just like, ah, and, oh, my sweater, it's ruined. <laughs> this is so imperfectly framed. Yeah. The visual, the visual there I get is those, you know, those that uh, plant with it looks like a ball and it has spikes on it. Um, Cactus? It, no. no it's, oh, burrs. Burrs. Yes. Yeah. You got a burr. I, I, they gave me burrs, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. That one is a t difficult one. Yeah. And my, my, you know, my bone to pick about that message, which I hate giving because I don't believe it. Like, I don't... It's so much more complex and nuanced than that, right? Yeah. But then I, I don't know if you ever feel the pressure to give really clear, reductive messages like use a condom every time. <laughs> um, you cannot consent, and of course that's the law. You cannot consent. But then what's happening in real life is we consent all the time. Yeah. While high and drunk. Yeah. And we choose that. Yeah. And. It's it's like a weird blip. Yeah, and it's, and yeah. How do you do you address it at all when you do your when you do any of your work? I say pretty much that. I'll say that's the law. So when shit hits the fan, mm -hmm. that's the law. Now let's go back to reality, which yeah. is um, many of us enjoy being high or drunk or drinking mm -hmm. with our sexuality. Yeah. So many of us actually and if it's well i guess whichever audience feel like too self-conscious and anxious unless we're somehow under the influence of something yeah so i i often will just throw that back to the audience so given that still how do you want to practice consent to the best of your ability mm. you know so if you're feeling tipsy and you're singing karaoke and dancing in a way that you know you would never do if you weren't drunk <laughs> now you want to like get sexy with this person yeah and you know you're under the influence like what are what's what are your options right because i feel like it's really unrealistic to say well then it's time to go home it's totally unrealistic it's totally it doesn't speak to the experience we know so many people are having yeah so yeah. what do you say Ugh. What are uh, options here? I, I haven't been specifically asked the question, but I think I would... I would say that it's a, it's a combination of sometimes verbal cues and sometimes physical cues that the other person gives you. And statistically, 
Canadians are not very verbal anyway with uh-huh. their consent. Uh-huh. They're really physical. They're really physical with how they show. They take their clothes off. Right. They get closer to you. They kiss you. Those kinds of things. So, um, I guess just be be very aware of what that other person's sending to you. What kind of messaging they're sending to you. That said, yeah, it's very problematic because the next day you still could regret it. Yeah. So I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's one one of the things I make clear that mm-hmm. regretting something I chose is not the same as not having chosen something. Mm-hmm. So non-consensual um, does not equate sex that I consensually sought and regret because there's lots of those too. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes, and especially in this this period of time where. Um, I feel like consent awareness is is skyrocketing among some of our young people that um, yeah I want to just be aware that we don't rush so quickly to say well that wasn't good or I feel ashamed the next day therefore um, that was non-consensual right you know um, there's so many sexual experiences that feel shitty the next day yeah you're right you know it's a really important distinction that you're making there hmm. i think that's really important what you just said and i really and it's wish... scary to talk about yeah right because it's nearing saying you know what if you feel bad just swallow it you probably just regret it right versus um consider you may have been violated yeah i think absolutely consider that but Mm-hmm. But I don't want to take that away from people. For sure. Yeah, you had sex, you regret it. Yes, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Yeah, and you can have that. And how how meaningful that would be? Again, I'm thinking about my younger self. That would be to hear somebody else say that. Yeah. Just to hear that even other people feel that way because people don't talk about yeah. those things very much. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I love um, studies that show like. Um, Often they're done on university campuses. Um, during sex, how are you? Are you feeling happy? Are you feeling uh, attractive? Are you feeling proud of yourself? And then afterwards, the day after, how did you feel? Yeah. And that with um, sex, that the the research subjects all will say are consensual. All of those things drop in hookup culture. Really? So, yeah. Uh, no one is as happy as they were when it was happening no one feels as much belonging or thinks is as good an idea like the general statistics say that right and i would love to have known that yeah. as a younger person right that, that most people don't feel that great after a hookup yeah mm-hmm. and that's okay you can still choose it it's kind of yeah. like a night of drinking i don't feel great the next day yeah <laughs> good to know yeah it's a good point and uh, you, you, this topic raises something that's come up in the past two episodes that I've done as well, which is etiquette mm-hmm. around casual sex. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's someone came out with a book called Being an Ethical Slut. Mm-hmm. And I'm particularly interested in this idea of aftercare. Mm-hmm. I love these questions that I think that one of the things I think when people ask about great sex, I'm like, there's no magic, but I think communication clearly mm-hmm. and emotional maturity mm-hmm. really help 
And and when I think about aftercare, it's like, what kind of care do you need after? Do you want to cuddle? Do you want to text the next day? I'm like, holy cow, I'm allowed to ask for these things? Yeah. And I'm not yeah. in a relationship yeah. with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could ask. You might not get it. No, I might not get it. Like, what's that? What, what language are you speaking right now? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, no kidding. So... But that's cool. I, and I see that's another interesting point because a lot of times if consent education comes from a place of let's make sure everyone follows the law yeah. and therefore I guess the underlying message there is let's make sure you don't do stuff that's illegal. Yeah. Then aftercare does not matter because it's after whatever might have happened. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of consent um, workshops and education that I've witnessed don't talk about that because it's rendered pointless. Like there might have been already harm done. So fuck aftercare. You right. Know? Whereas if consent education really is done from a place of saying, how do we help people show the care that they feel and want to show but may not have had experience or didn't know they could say scripts that they could say, mm-hmm. um, then that kind of education would definitely include um, asking questions after something has happened as just part of the same um, set of questions you would ask during and before. Like it's it's not like, okay, we did it. Now what's the verdict? Did I violate you? Or mm-hmm. did I experience violence? Mm-hmm. So yeah, like checking in even like months after, if it's the person you saw at spring break, you know? Next time you see them, hey, you remember that? Like, that's not to take away culpability if er- anything illegal ever, um, like if you're ever in charged with something, that, that matters not. And in fact, it might make you more criminally suspicious. Like, oh, you thought it was so bad that you had to check with them mm. months after. Oh, I see. And I think there's some fear in saying like, hey, we, it was kind of rough last night. Are you okay? Right. Um, or like I noticed the condom was broken. Yeah. You know, did you know that? You know, anyway, my, my point simply is that I think we should help people know that they can do stuff like that. Yeah. That it's... Like, I can't even articulate how much it bugs me that once, quote-unquote, sex is done, then I don't relate to you anymore. Right. Now I'm just, like, spiraling either in my own shame or in my own, like, how do I make sense of this thing that happened? Uh, You mean when violence has occurred? or Or even when questionable or... Even when really good times have occurred, yeah, you know it's it's because there is so much embarrassment and shame that happens post-sex between people. Mm. That's that's something we should do something about post-sex. Yeah, shame. <laughs> post-sex shame, and, what and to it do doesn't about even it. have to do with anything violent, violence-related. It's mm. just like even when it's plain old birds and bees, you know. Right, like, I feel like post-sex shame might be more prevalent with people who are doing it with people maybe that they don't know as well. Maybe that's just... I think sometimes people feel that 
also if they have sex with someone like they don't usually have sex with but yeah. as a friend <laughs> and it just kind of happened and yeah. then you're like uh, let's just not talk about it okay yeah okay. right yeah. yeah we're really good at that yeah we're so good at that oh my god wait till we start talking about texting strategies okay yeah because we're gonna talk about that <laughs> okay we're, I don't know if you have any information on this but I felt like ah Karen's going ass <laughs> you know the world of texting's pretty like coming up I, uh-huh. I feel like that's a big way young people and everybody really interacts. And I notice people don't know how to reject other people. Right. On text. Right. Well, it's much easier on text via text Better than any other than way. In person. Yeah, but the old ghosting strategy is, is oh, in full God. swing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, the first time I was ghosted, I got so worried about the person. Because I was like, <laughs> you know, so I wrote her three times and she didn't write back. I have a sense that something happened to her. And then I, I happened to have like some friends who were younger. They were like, dude, you got ghosted. So like, pack up your bags. Stop bugging her. And I was like, what? No, no, no. If she wasn't into it, she would tell me. Yeah. And then they were like, what? In what world would she tell you? Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a lexicon for it. We really don't have a lexicon for, hey, well, I guess we do. It's like, hey, I'm not into you. But people would rather lie than say that. Even over text. Yes. I think it's because of fear of confrontation. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to say, like, something that I think is... I mean, truly, we are rejecting the person, right? It's not like, sorry, I'm moving countries. It's like, I've come to know you a little bit more than I used to, and I don't like it. Yeah. (laughs) From what I've seen, after a deeper look... I'm not, in, I'm, not, I'm not looking forward to yeah. learning more. And so I actually think it's interesting that there are some people who are very ready to reject mm-hmm. others, um, but they're done in a pretty nasty way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, so like either you go super nasty and be like, don't ever show your face again. That's the last thing I ever want yeah. to see. Um, or what I get told are like funny lines that people use to reject people and they're always like you know even if you're the last man on earth oh it's yeah i thought you were gonna say it's not you it's me no no no, no. like something like harsh like like and meant to be harsh yeah and i actually think that that is a reaction that's like if i'm gonna say it as what it is mm-hmm. which is not that strong a reaction yeah of resentment and rejection Mm -hmm. then I'm more likely to feel something but if I become more extreme in what I'm saying to you then the the extremity of what I'm saying almost like takes away my ability my need to feel it Hmm. how do I um, I don't know if I'm making any sense at all (laughs) We're in it. We're in the spiral yeah, now. Yeah, totally. The philosophic spiral. <laughs> we're deep. We're deep in the trenches. Um. <laughs> it's kind of like, instead of saying, like, um, instead of saying, like, hey, I don't like it when you wear that mm. jacket. Right. I'm saying, that jacket is so ugly, it makes me want to puke. Yeah. I don't know. It just puts it in a different relational 
realm, like the first one, I'm like, I'm gonna receive what your reaction is. The second one, I'm pushing you so far away with my words oh, yeah. that I don't have to receive you after that. Oh. So if you break down and cry, I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. I walk away. Like you're you're just being sensitive. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, well that, it sounds like um, that approach is, uh, you have nothing to lose. Yeah. You don't have a lot to lose. And it's a, like a distancing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the other person also, it's hard for them to react constructively. You haven't given them really the option. Yeah. I mean, actually they could if they're like a really mature person. Right. But I mean, they could also be really pissed off. For sure. And they're more likely to react with anger versus like, yeah, um, what I really don't want, which is like just plain naked hurt. Yeah. I think this really feeds into a lot of the other work you do because you, you work with corporations um, on gender and many other topics, right? And so I'm wondering how you counter people in the room that have really, um, I've opinions that are not, that are homophobic or yeah. who really um, dated thoughts, you know, how do you challenge that in a way that's constructive? Well, sometimes I don't. Yeah. That's one of, if they're not listening, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it really feels like if they're not listening, then I'm no longer at all effective. So I would rather talk about something else. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot about rapport and whether I have rapport with someone because intuitively I've always known that if you like someone, you're much more likely to, you know, do what they say and buy what they're selling and shift your own um, values and attitudes or even actually just be softer towards difference, their difference, right? Which is why, you know, for for the longest time, um, LGBTQ awareness or anti-homophobia training isn't just done with like teaching, it's also done with stories. So then you bring people in and you're like, oh, but he's so lovely. I couldn't hate him, Yeah. you know? And that's how you, and so that is one way of building rapport, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I think about rapport, um, and one of the ways that I, Uh, invest in rapport with people that I'm training is to really try to affirm for them that they have good reason to think what they think. Like I really want to be in that place because they do. They do have good, like I have good reason to think what I think. Right. Um, So they didn't come to it through callousness and you know, ill will, they're probably trying to do what they think is the right thing. Yes. So I will um, try to articulate that pretty um, explicitly. You validate. I validate why certain positions are taken. Okay. Um, And then I might give uh, what it feels like for that to exist. Mm. So I'm not going to debate um, as much like it's right or wrong. Yeah. Because we could do that all day. Yeah. You know, and and if we, we were on a debating team and we got, we picked the, the straw for the other team, like I could debate myself 
about how I'm wrong all the time. Yeah. So I try to <laughs> appeal to other things. Like maybe they have other interests, the interests of being um, a good person, or a lot of people see themselves as um, different from who they were supposed to be, like their lot. You know, like I'm not just any lawyer. I'm a really, uh, I'm innovative. Uh, Or I'm not just another nurse. Um, I came to this because like every woman in my extended family have been nurses. So there's a pride. Right. And, and so, an individuation sort of thing happening. Sometimes, if it's a personal mm-hmm. um, tension that I'm feeling, and sometimes I'm feeling the tension with the whole room. So I'm really trying to appeal to what reason would they have anyway to think differently mm-hmm. at all? Mm. Um, certainly not because I'm right and they're not, they're wrong. So sometimes it's they are already often this is what's true about people they're already like exceptions to their class or their um profession or their gender and so on and so they've already consciously made decisions to be different Mm -hmm. so they can do that again and so sometimes i'll say this is what you've done already this is another thing i'm asking you to do and i'm asking you to do this at great cost to yourself so I'm trying to name all the the barriers they might feel right. within them. Can we use an example? Yeah. So, um, an example. Erin uh, will edit this space out. <laughs> what about uh, one of the things like, um, I don't want to have to use someone else's pronoun. Great. That's a good one. I actually had this experience. When I was in New Orleans, um, uh, a colleague and I were presenting uh, LGBTQ like awareness and competency. Mm-hmm. A lot of lawyers, a, a few judges, and a, a judge in the back of the room at the end of our presentation said, I don't know who made the decision at some point that you can just change what it means this gender is what it is. You know, you can't just go and change that. Yeah. You know, and I don't get why people can, they think they're, who do they think they are to change gender? Right. So we had talked about trans people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what it means. Um, and so I affirmed, it's like, yeah, it makes, for many people, it makes no sense how something they've known all their lives as being one way, you know, pretty binary, men are like this and women are like this. And and those are not easy binaries, right? As a man yourself, and I'm gonna, I would list all the things that men have to do to morph themselves into manhood. Yeah. Right? And so many people who've gone through that experience, and I suspect you might have, um, will have come to know gender this way. And here we are standing in front of a room saying, hey, this is a new thing, you better catch on, you know? And I'm like, whether you catch on is up to you. And if you don't, does that make you a bad person? Absolutely not. You're doing your best to uphold something that you know holds the social order. Mm-hmm. But what it does do is that it might alienate many people who come across your bench. Um, and certainly that's not your intention. You know, I can see that um, you don't, you're not a judge 
in order to alienate you. In fact, um, and if I know anything about this person and, and their work, I would say mm. you're known for um, working with families, uh, poor families, or something like that. Right. And so you already know what it means, what it's like to be counter um, the norm or something normative. So this is another wave. And of course, as the wave comes, it feels like a smack in the face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, it would be like through that, um, that kind of approach. Wow. And, and really linking it to stuff they know. So a lot of times I'll remind people, do you remember um, when, you know, if it's an older audience, like women's rights, yeah. you know, and how many people at that time felt, well, I can't just say anything to a woman anymore. Everything I say is offensive. Right. You know, and often in anti-oppression training <laughs> that happens is like, why can't I say this word? And why can't I say, oh my God. Yeah. You know, like, what's the point in policing all my words? Yeah. And I said, do you remember that? It does, like in that moment, it feels shitty because the way that you've known is changing now. Yeah, and it makes you feel, I think, insecure. Yes. In their sense of self and, you know, it, they might strike their confidence on all these things. On yeah. The collection of all their beliefs. Yeah. So if you want to start, if one starts shaking and then the other ones around it start shaking, you know, it affects, it can affect their confidence. Yeah. And so I'll often just point out this is actually how change happens. Mm -hmm. um, another common one that I get is like, there are so many letters in this LGBTQII2S. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. You know, we're just human. Mm -hmm. What happened to human race? Right. You know, that kind of thing. And I'll say, absolutely. It is so clunky. I can't even imagine. I can't even make a t-shirt that fits all the letters. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to relate to them and yeah. I do, you know. Um, and then I'll say, this is actually step 45 in a process that takes a hundred steps. So 45 is ugly and clunky and we're like one more letter and we're like struggling with like, I'm excluded. Yes. And so you are ready for a 100, but we're not there. Right. And we need you to be a part of 45. So how do you do 45 is that you do try to learn the new letter that comes out. Yeah. That you do ask people's gender pronouns. You know, I think there might be a day when we don't have gender pronouns mm. or when it will be okay and it won't in, in, inflame a lot of wounds uh, where we, we just ask anyone. Right. You know, but we're at 45. So that gives perspective and then people will be like, okay. Mm. They were still all moving towards yeah, a and that goal. they're needed. They're part of 45. Nice. And I'm asking, like, can we count on you to move this way forward so we can get to 100? Yeah. The more you resist, the more we stay at 45. Yeah. You're, you become one of the people who both the fight. Right. And some elements of it are easier to understand than others. Yeah. And I think that that acronym is really a sticking point for people. I was I was thinking about it too, and and again I think it's overwhelming for mm -hmm. people who are not in the community or working with the community. They're like, what is this? Yeah. And I don't understand. I don't know what's gender identity. And Bill, you know, B, Bill C sixteen comes out, and they're like, okay, like, yeah. I don't know if I really understand this. Um, yeah. 
Egal did a great video on it on Bill C16. I uh, a friend of mine made it. I think. Oh yeah, I haven't seen <laughs> it yet though. It's so great. I'm so sad. It's so great. It's like three minutes. Three minutes out of your time, and they also have a great open letter. And in the open letter, they address probably one of the biggest myths about the bill, which is okay. Now, if I misgender, if I use someone's, if I don't use someone's pronoun, then I'm going to jail. Right. This is one of the things that came out. So, FYI, that's not happening. That, <laughs> that is, is not, that's not a happening. Thing. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> check out Egal's website and their open letter. I'll, I'll actually include it in the show notes. Perfect. <laughs> Aaron included in the show notes. Just kidding. Show notes. I do. Aaron, <laughs> Aaron um, you're the best. Yeah. Shout out to Aaron. He's great. Um, well, what else did I want to talk about? Well, let's talk about sexy seniors. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever done any work with seniors? I've done some work with seniors. Um, it was mostly like around sexual health, and um, there, you know, we covered some pleasure. Um, and if I remember correctly, a lot of our conversation actually ended up towards like, what the hell do you do these days? <laughs> like, and it was a very, you know, when I was a younger person, I said to myself, never be an older person who said, when I was your age, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, and now I'm starting to do it. Yeah. And I'm seeing the the reason. It's not to make um, people who are younger feel anything. It's because I don't know what to do with all these feelings I have about all that I've seen and done and all that I know. And how do I grieve for things that are never going to be the same? Mm. And like, who do I tell all these stories to? Yeah. So I remember um, one of the sessions I did with seniors, it was supposed to be about health. We ended up, I just ended up being educated on what was it like? What did you have to do? What did you have to be? Uh, what are the rules around like a dance? Um, <laughs> and how did you know you were, you know, if somebody liked you? Mm -hmm. Um, so it was very sweet and I, through that, I think I, I learned a lot and, and I gave a lot of, um, empathy for how things change and it can be confusing, but I didn't like teach them gotcha. how to Tinder or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think when I was studying, uh, in Vancouver, the sex educator course, I took the one with options for sexual health. Right. And the seniors, we did a whole unit on seniors, and we were just on the verge of tears a yeah. couple times because, you know, they're completely... You talk about how sex is erased in, in many ways, and certainly for seniors, people think they become asexual. Yeah. Okay, so what, what day does that happen? Is it, you know, your first gray hair or 40, 50? <laughs> 60, you know, when do you get there? Right. I, and actually people, someone asked me, no, seniors are not sexual. Mm. I'm like, oh, but they are. Right. And I think that with the graying population, there's a huge need yeah. for uh, staff training yeah. and also for the training of actual people to yes. be like, okay, especially because we have um, 
you know, women tending to have longer lifespans and yeah. maybe losing their partners and maybe wanting to find somebody new. Yeah. Normalizing all that. Yeah. And uh, doing some speed dating or something. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Speed dating for seniors. There's a great That'd documentary be, yeah. about it. Oh, really? Yeah. It's called The Age of Love. That's awesome. Yeah. I know. I was thinking about screening it or... I, I think that they did screen it at the 519. Okay. Yeah, of course they did. Um, they had a whole set... Uh, they have a seniors network uh-huh. at 519 and they also had a bunch of talks about it. Of course I missed them. But hey, you know, keep on going. You've keep got on some time. On. Yeah. <laughs> Before I'm Before there. you're in a hurry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, can we talk about some of the work you do in terms of, I guess, you call it counseling for couples or individuals? Um, I do... I do some, and yeah. it's not something I seek. Yeah. So often I'll, I'll meet uh, people at the end of a workshop or something, and it'll be something that we had talked about or um, a model that I shared that really worked for them um, or reflected what they are living. Okay. So in those cases, um, we decide to work together. Okay. Um, so I make it very clear I'm not a therapist. I'm not trained as a therapist. I'm trained as an educator. So primarily, I listen and then I give information like I would, but except in a very small classroom. Okay. Um, and I give advice and I give homework and I tell people what to do, which is all like the stuff you're not supposed to do. If my therapist did those things to me, I'd be like mind your own business yeah (laughs) but uh yeah so that's how i do it and it's short term um and people come to me with all kinds of uh situations so sometimes it's um couples who are just struggling to have sex again when they for one reason or another have stopped or really find it hard to um rekindle intimacy between them um other folks it's a a sense of themselves as you know you're talking about sexy seniors one of the thoughts that came to mind was for a lot of people they may never have related to this idea of sexiness right um i recently worked with a group of awesome um taiko drumming women in boston uh, to do storytelling and um, a number of women there uh, had turned 60 recently. One of them had a shirt. Someone gifted her a shirt that said, too sexy to be 60, too, yeah, too sexy to be 60. And so then we had this beautiful conversation about when was I sexy? Do I feel sexy? Do I relate to this word? Because I actually think it's not accessible to a lot of people past a certain time, mm. you know, um, or maybe it was never, never there. So I work with people individually about, you know, their own sense of themselves as sexual beings. Interesting. In either your kind of that work that you do with individuals and couples or in a classroom, can you tell share any stories about maybe some beautiful moments that you've seen, maybe where like somebody has an aha moment or you've had an aha moment? Take your time. figure with 18 years 18 plus years it's probably a couple stories in the bank yeah 
was one of my favorite stories to retell is um, I was in a classroom once and in the anonymous question box I got a question that said um, what is an interracial relationship mm-hmm. and these were uh, like nine-year-olds and they know that my rule for the anonymous question box is that it has to be anonymous so I read it out I answer it and then a, a child puts up their hand and was like, that was my question. And I was like, oh, you don't do that. That's not <laughs> anonymous anymore. Anyway, just for future reference, for all the questions coming up, yeah. do not tell me that you asked the question. Thank you. But thank you for asking the question. And the, the kid was like, no, 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 I have a follow-up question. That's why. I told you it was my question. I was like, fine, what is your follow-up question? (laughs) Um, And they said, why does that have a name? And this kid was so perplexed why we would give that a name. Mm. And it was so a sweet moment for me. And I don't know if anyone else in the room felt sweetened like I was. But I was like, oh, cool. Like, is it this generation? Is it this part of town? Is it just this young person's life that is so unremarkable and it's as ridiculous to to them as saying like tall person short person love yeah you know? <laughs> having an inter-height relationship yeah you know? <laughs> people are would be thinking you're so ridiculous for saying that yeah um and so i felt some beauty in that moment mm-hmm. um i've certainly seen and felt couples work together um who just by the process of slowing down um having another person to say wait 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 slow down um and instruct them to um say how they feel or to do homework that might be like involving touch um that it's weird because some of these things people would normally just do on their own but once there's um, some tension or difficulty in a relationship certain things go right it's hard to reapproach each other mm. and so having homework is a good excuse right to do that and so i've certainly seen like one partner like tears roll down their face as the other partner said so i uh really love this person and it's not something the other person doesn't know, but there's just it just got received in a way that wouldn't be possible if you didn't have somehow another <laughs> person to just hold down the tension. I don't yeah. know. I don't huh. know how things like that work. Interesting. Because it's not like deep therapy work. It's just right. like, okay, now you say. <laughs> okay, now you talk. You know? Right. Yeah. That's pretty wonderful. I I imagine that this work is probably pretty rewarding. I really love it, and I feel so lucky to do it. I don't um, I don't do a lot of work that I don't love, which is so lucky. Mm-hmm. When I first um, started my practice, I did a lot of work I didn't like. You know, it's good work um, and interesting work. And for many people, it's it's what they find fun. But, you know, like um, organ organizational development or like systemic change or like vision and mission and <laughs> mandates. 
those kinds of strategic planning things for organizations are not my favorite. Right. You know, but they're necessary. Yeah. For organizations. So I remember doing lots of those and slowly thinking, I don't like doing this. <laughs> and if, if I'm lucky, then one day I don't do this. If I had to guess, I'd say I'm going to go out on a limb. I think your fa- is your favorite audience youth? I um I do love young people. I love um but I really do actually love moments where I can be like um the unexpected bridge to something, you know. I always say um I I'm so lucky to have had communities uh, that really nourish and nurture me so that I've done quite a bit of healing around um, like systemic injustices that I've experienced so they're not like open wounds that are waiting to like weep right you know what I mean and you mean in your own experience in my own experience and so it's I think it's so valuable to have then access to someone who is staunchly, let's say, homophobic. Right. And who are they going to have a conversation with that um, could really understand where they're coming from and possibly escort them to a slightly different place? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. And it definitely connects to what we talked about earlier, because sometimes that person is someone in your own family. And was kind of another question I wanted to ask you about because I did a talk at my old high school about bystander intervention, and I just collected some things from the internet, including from Miguel as well, about things you can say, using humor, asking more questions, why do you feel that way? Um, but it still perplexes me every time, and if I don't say something, I feel terrible after. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just it, sometimes it's family saying something about immigrants having yeah. diseases or something yeah. ridiculous like that, or someone on the streetcar like saying retard. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's so yeah. Any insight on that? <laughs> on on how to on how to yeah. Yeah, yeah, ask questions and I, I someone else uh, my friend Veronica also suggested maybe asking them to repeat themselves. <laughs> say that again. <laughs> What'd you Excuse say? Excuse me, could you repeat that for me, please? <laughs> I didn't quite hear you. And wow I thought that is ballsy. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was like, oh my god. Well, everyone has their style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess I'm gonna we're gonna wrap up pretty soon, but I wanted to Okay, I'm gonna bring in Mr. T and I have never I actually have not brought him up yet on the show. I think it's my own denial of the fact that this is happening, but you know, it has to be talked about. I guess I wanted to know about you know, since you're pretty embedded in in these kind of communities, how has there been an impact here because of uh, Trump's been elected? Have people been struggling or just what have you noticed? Um, I've seen the first time I visited um, Planned Parenthood New York City post-election people felt like significantly 
traumatized. Um, and I think people were in tears quite often. And I've seen the same kinds of reactions outside of the States um, in like reproductive and sexual health sectors. Um, so I, I know that there's a lot of fear and uh, sadness and anger. Um, and then at the same time, coupled with that, is like uh, the surge of interest and uh, inspiration and like no fucking way we're not gonna let this happen yeah um, and I as things always do right like there's the action and then the reaction and so I do feel like on the daily the it's just awful it's just awful that this is the world mm-hmm. and I obsessively uh, read the news um, and I don't know what it is. It's kind of a, a perverse thing um, that I'm doing. I just have to know what is the next ridiculous thing that I cannot imagine. So it's it shocks me yeah. all well, the time. It, yeah, I can't imagine you've been disappointed because there seems to be something ridiculous every day. Yeah, and I am, you know, I remember election night and my partner and I went to a bar and the understanding we had was um, we're not going to be those people who stay at home when the first woman gets elected as the president of the United States so let's just go so I remember like we just ended up in tears at a bar in Toronto Um, so yeah I'm very stunned and continue to be but at the same time I really trust that humanity will do what we need to do yeah you know and the response that we will have yeah it sounds like it's it's people are feel some people have it's galvanized them to mm-hmm. to be even more active yeah so there's hope and uh and people i think are sticking together and supporting each other in lots of ways yeah. too yeah so karen bk chan it has been an honor. It's been a slice. And a pleasure. And a slice absolutely to have Thanks you. Thanks for a good time. Thank you. <laughs> and you can find Karen BK Chan on foodexchange.org. Your, any other, your socials or anything like that? Um, no, I just go there. Go there. Everything else is linked to there. That's right. Foodexchange.org. So signing off on another episode. Yeah.